Welcome to Health Essentials, a Cleveland Clinic podcast. There's so much health advice floating around, online, among friends, but who can you really trust? Trust the experts. Listen to the world's brightest medical minds, our very own Cleveland Clinic experts. We ask them real questions, tough and intimate health questions, and we get real answers, all originally recorded live. Hi, thank you for joining us. I'm your host, Nada Youssef, and today we have Dr. Karen Jacobs, psychiatrist here at Cleveland Clinic, and today we're taking your questions regarding depression and anxiety. And before we get started, please remember this is for informational purposes only and not intended to replace your own physician's advice. So thank you so much for being here today. My pleasure. Thank you for asking me. Sure thing. And um, if you want to just introduce yourself to our viewers. Absolutely. Um, as Nada said, I'm Karen Jacobs. I've been a psychiatrist here for the past 12 years. I previously was an outpatient psychiatrist who finished her residency at the Cleveland Clinic for 14 years prior to that. So I've had many years in psychiatry. I specialize in outpatient psychiatry. So I see a lot of folks for depression and anxiety, as well as overseeing our, um, our adult psychiatry residency program. Great, great, awesome. Well. Anxiety and depression. First, I want to kind of um, state some facts first. Mm -hmm. um, anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness in the United States, affecting 40 million adults in the United States, age, ages 18 and older, which happens to be 18.1% of the populations every single year. Also, uh, major depression is also one of the common uh, mental illnesses, affecting 16 million adults, which is 6.7% of the population. Now, I know we group these together, anxiety, depression. Um, can we talk a little bit about how do they relate to each other? And just because you have one doesn't mean you have the other, correct? Absolutely. Um, it does not mean that you might have both at the same time, although they commonly co-occur. Okay. So they're very different diagnoses. The symptoms are different for each of them. And then there's some cross symptoms that might occur between anxiety and depression. Mm -hmm. uh, so for instance, one of the things that we're looking at when we are interviewing someone is if they're presenting with a lot of depressive symptoms, but there's a high degree of anxiety as well, mm -hmm. we're trying to sort out the chicken and the egg yeah. um, and trying to figure out which one was first and which one did one cause the other. Sure, sure. Okay, and now many times we feel sad or down. Um, how do I know if I'm slipping through depression versus just having a hard time dealing with like a change, like a divorce or anything kind of like a life change? How do, we, how do we know when you're stepping over that line? Well, that's, that's a great question because all of us have episodes where we get sad. Mm -hmm. You know, we might um, miss someone, a good friend that's moving away. Right. We might lose a, a loved one. Um, we might not have done so well on a test. We, there's a lot of things that could cause us to feel sad. Sure. But these are things that typically are a little more temporary. They don't last that long. And the big differentiation between sadness and depression would be the symptoms are not nearly as severe. Okay. They're not as persistent. And they don't tend to interfere with our ability to function on a day-to-day -day basis. So it doesn't cross a cut um, our work life our home life and our social life. Sure. Now, I want to ask you about postpartum just because I had two children and you know, the first time I had my my first child, such a happy moment, but then you go home, you're not sleeping, body changes, 
And it was like, I wasn't sure if, it, if I was having baby blues versus is this like a postpartum thing? Do you have any um, hints or any tips on how to help new moms um, that maybe go through this? New moms need to know that there's been a major change that has occurred. Yes. You know, <laughs> you have gone from carrying these very high levels of hormones for nine months, yeah. and then it goes to zero. Sure. And all of a sudden, so there's going to be fluctuations. The difference is, is it a big departure from your typical behavior? Um, is it starting to really interfere? Are you isolating yourself somewhat from the family, from the baby? Are you not connecting? Mm. Are you not sleeping at all? And so if those symptoms get to be a bit more severe and people are recognizing changes in your behaviors and it goes beyond two weeks, then you need to start thinking, is this something a little more than just the blues? Okay, so two weeks. That's Two weeks. That's, okay, mm -hmm. that's good to know. Right. Um, okay, great. Now, are there warning signs for depression? I have a lot of questions also about anxiety. I kind of don't want to mush the two together, but are there warning signs for depression that we should be on the lookout for, whether it's in myself or in a loved one? Well, if you see a, a loved one or someone that you care about mm -hmm. starting to withdraw, you know, they're isolating, maybe they're not as talkative as they usually are, um, maybe they are, um, they seem to be sad. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they um, are having more difficulty with concentration. They may not be eating as much, so you might notice that they're losing weight. Mm -hmm. um, you might notice that they're pretty tired. Things that you might have asked your friend or your loved one, you know, honey, you know what? Your favorite movie is coming to, you know, our, you know, the next edition of this movie is mm -hmm. coming. Oh, you know what? I don't really want to go. I see. Um, so those kinds of things are, are the kind of warning signs we need to be paying attention to about those we care about. Sure, sure. Um, now, speaking of a loved one that's going through major depression, how will, because a lot of times if you have like a spouse or, or a child or anybody that's going through depression and it's a daily basis that you're dealing with them, how do, you, how do I keep myself motivated and emotionally healthy and strong for that person when you're dealing with that negativity all the time? Do you have anything to, to say for those people? That's a very difficult situation to be in, and it can be a protracted situation depending on what it is that's going on. But one of the things that I would suggest is that if your spouse or loved one, for instance, is not getting help, then you should be seeking some um, assistance. You should be talking to someone about how do I manage living in this situation to keep yourself okay. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, we're hoping that that spouse is willing or that loved one is willing to go seek help themselves. Sure. And so it is going to be a time, there's going to be a period of time where you're going to need to be very patient and loving and kind. One of the things that really is distressing for me as a psychiatrist to hear people say is, um, there are folks that have never experienced depression in their lives. Families have never experienced depression. They don't get it. They feel that it's a, a weakness. Mm -hmm. And they will say the kinds of things that you've heard. They will say, pick yourself up by your bootstraps. Just get going. If mm -hmm. you just got out of bed, if you just did this, and those kinds of things are the, the person experiencing a true depression is, if I could, I would, mm -hmm. I, but I can't. Sure, sure. Okay. and. Um, now, if the person that's going through depression is resisting help, 
how do you become a support system for that that you know you're kind of the one taking all the beating but they're not going and seeking help how do you not push them to do something they don't want to do but you want the best for them i think talking to them very directly about you know i'm hurting that you're hurting and i'm not sure you know how much more i can i can take of sure. this i'm going to go seek some help for myself i'm going to go talk to nami national alliance for the mentally ill that has support programs for families okay. of those who have mental illness or again as i had mentioned before having someone that you can talk to to you know yourself how do you manage? How do you stay healthy? You're going to have to make sure you're getting plenty of sleep, that you're doing all right with this whole process. Sure. Um, if you can get them, so sometimes they may not want to go talk to a psychiatrist. We tend to, um, in, in the in the media, might be portrayed as you know scary or intimidating, and I'm, I'm hardly that. Mm -hmm. So sure. um, I'm hoping that more people would be willing to come out and talk to folks, but. Going to see their family physician is a great first step. Okay. You can always call the family physician um, and let them know, you know what, I'm going to be bringing Joe in, and I'm really concerned about his mental health. He seems so depressed. He's withdrawn. He won't talk to the family. Mm -hmm. Can you help us out with it? By giving them some kind of forewarning, sure. they may be able to be prompted to ask the questions that will draw Joe out. Okay. Great, thank you, so great. Um, okay, now jumping a little bit to uh, anxiety. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, we all go through anxiety episodes, at least I do. Um, mm -hmm. What's normal? How do I know, like, my anxiety is off the roof and I should probably be seeking help versus this is just normal anxiety? Anxiety kind of manifests itself a, a little bit differently, but there's some similarities to the depression. But, um, for instance, I was anxious coming in here. Yeah. You know, and, and doing something like this with, sure. with you. And you've been very gracious. So thank you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> but uh, that would be normal. You okay. know, being worried about um, how well you're going to do on a test or uh, going in to talk to your boss about your annual review. Yeah. Those are normal things to be anxious about. Um, but if it starts again, persisting and crossing a, against all your life activities, mm -hmm. your work, your home life, and so forth, so some of the things you might see would be someone who is, their sleep is really disrupted. Sure. They have a lot of muscle tension. Mm -hmm. They are um, constantly, they can't stop thinking about all these worries. They are pervasive. So their focus and concentration on their work or at home or any place else, they are someplace else and very troubled by it. Sure. Um, and sometimes you'll see some physical agitation. Mm -hmm. You know, they may not be able to sit still. They may be restless those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of things to sort of look for in that regard. Now, if your life becomes naturally, you know, more stressful, so you have natural anxiety that comes with mm -hmm. it, um, is there anything besides jumping to medication or anything like that that you think a person can do at home? I don't know, meditation or counseling? What, mm -hmm. what, is there anything else to do besides medication that you can go to? Absolutely. So initially, we, we wouldn't even want to jump into medication okay. if you can help it. If it's a moderate to severe um, anxiety or depression, that's when you might want to introduce the medication. Okay. But prior to that, as you mentioned, meditation, exercise, healthy eating. If you are drinking a lot of caffeine mm -hmm. or a lot of alcohol, both of those should be reduced. Okay. Um, uh, psychotherapy, extraordinarily useful to have someone to talk to. Mm. Okay. Now, a lot of people don't feel comfortable going to, to a counselor, telling them anything like that. What do, you, what do you say to those folks? 
Sorry, my, my computer fell asleep, so I'm going to log back in here. That's <laughs> but, okay. Yeah, just because, you know, you're telling your, your personal information to mm -hmm. a stranger to you that never talked to you before, and you're like, where do I start? You know, how do you, how do you tell, what do you tell someone like that? Someone like that, it's, it is difficult. Yeah. Um, you might say, you know what, would you feel more comfortable if I went with you? So if, if there's a good mm. friend. Sure. You know, and I can sit in there for the first 10 minutes. And if you're getting more comfortable with someone, then I can walk out. Um, they can start with talking with friends. But, you know, when I have folks that say in a session, you know, well, I really don't need therapy. I have my friends. There's a big difference between having someone who's professional and can help guide you sure. versus a friend who is a support. And we love having support Good systems. Friends. Yeah, yeah yes. definitely, yes, definitely. Absolutely. Great. Yeah. All right. Now, I want to kind of talk a little bit about some of these um, shows, some of these um, movies. Like, let's say um, 13 Reasons Why is a Netflix show that came out, and it really heightened awareness of suicide in negative and a positive way. Um, and we know that results of a recent study show suicide searches were 19% higher in the days following the Netflix show release. Um, do you think these type of shows, or even violent video games, or even social media, is affecting our society and especially our children. Have you seen a spike in, in visits? Uh, has, has that affected anybody? Well, it's a great question. Mm -hmm. And I do remember the media indicating the high increased rate of suicides. But this is a question that I would probably um, have my child psychiatry colleagues be able to, to share their sure, information. Share more about yes. this. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. Um, and then I want to kind of talk a little bit um, about the risk of suicide. It's very real um, with these patients. Can we talk a little bit about the warning signs, what to do, what not to do, if there are trigger words that we should probably stay away from, things that can help? Well, one of the things right off the bat that people get a little bit um, scared about is, you know, if someone starts to talk a little bit about suicide or if they're super depressed and you're wondering, mm -hmm. they're afraid to bring up the topic of suicide because they're, they're fearful that it might push them towards it. That typically is not the case, and it's actually a bit freeing for the person if someone else says to them, you know, I'm really worried about you, Nada. Have you been having thoughts about wanting to hurt yourself or suicide? Because you've been so down and you've, you've changed your behavior, you're um, isolating completely, you're drinking a lot more, and I'm really worried about the things that you're doing. Sure. So it, it, it actually frees them up to, to feel more open to talk about it. Sure, sure. Um, but they may start talking about things. They might start talking about, um, I'm, they're talking about suicide. They're right. talking about ways to kill themselves. They're looking up things on the internet, how to do these kinds of things. Their behaviors are way different than sure. what they typically are. Sure. They're drinking more. They're, um, you know, one of the things you might want to know is, are there guns in the household? We right. always have to ask about guns in the household. And one of the first things that we ask when we're talking to patients and they do have guns is, one, are they locked? Are they loaded? Mm -hmm. um, can we get them out of the house? Right. Is there someone that can take them and keep them for you? Sure, sure. Now, if someone does mention anything about suicide or hinting to suicide, can you let our viewers know what is the first thing to do? What, what is the first step that we, we should be taking? Actually, the first step to do if someone mentions suicide is, is see if they'll talk a little bit more about it. Um, there is a national suicide hotline where uh, they can call or you can call, but if they are very serious about this and it looks like you're not going to be able to do much about it, please don't take this in your own hands. Call 911 immediately. Let the um, authorities go ahead and, 
and take your loved one to the hospital where they can get the specific help that they need. Great, thank you. All right, well, uh, I'm done with my part. Now I'm gonna just go ahead and go to the live questions. Okay. Um, so I have uh, Lisa. I've been suffering from both anxiety and depression um, and some OCD for years. Does it ever go away? Great question. Um, for, for Lisa, I would say if you have been treated with a combination of medications and therapy, the hope would be that the symptoms and your quality of life have improved over time. And at some point, um, if things are going just swimmingly, they're going fabulous, then your physician and you can work together and start to wean off some of the medications very slowly to see how you might do. And you kind of take major rest stops to kind of see, are you still doing just as well on this dose versus that dose? But um, oftentimes these can be lifetime um, illnesses. Great, thank you. And I have uh, Daryl. How much anxiety and depression medication is too much? And are there any natural remedies for depression and anxiety? That's a great question. And I think it's gonna be very hard to answer that question in terms of what's too much without knowing some specifics. People do uh, metabolize medications differently. And so I might have one patient, I remember years ago here at the clinic, I had a six foot two, 240 pound gentleman, and I had a five foot two, 130 pound female. They both needed the same dose of medication to get them to the place of diminishing their panic attacks and improving their depression, which was uncanny, but that's, you know, yeah. <laughs> Great. Um, Paula, I've just started counseling, uh, but what can I do in between sessions to help manage my depression? Excellent. Um, I'm so glad that you started counseling. That's great. That's a great first step for you. Uh, mindfulness apps are great ways of having something that are um, with you all the time so that you can check those. And during the day, you can follow a little exercise that there might be. Again, if you can get into a regular exercise routine, even if that is walking three days a week, um, again, as we mentioned earlier, things like alcohol and uh, caffeine, if, the, if you can manage those um, reasonably, those are things that you can all take care of yourself. Mindfulness apps, can you tell me a little bit about that? There's some free apps okay. that I regularly recommend um, to my patients. Some of them, if you want su uh, like superior um, or premium kinds of things, you can, you can start paying for them. But there is one called the Mindfulness app, okay. and there's one called Headspace, and uh, there's many others. And you can investigate and see what might, which one might work best for you. You know, there, again, there's not one that fits all sizes. So does it give you like, a, like it reminds you to breathe and calm down? There, like... There's a variety of different wow. things that you can do. That's yes, awesome. mm -hmm. great. I didn't yeah. know about that. Mm -hmm. um, let's see, and we got Allison. Um, what do you do when anxiety happens out of nowhere, when it distracts uh, going out and having fun? Okay. So the question might be, does that anxiety, it sounds like, does it interfere with your ability to go out and have fun? And does it escalate into something we didn't touch on, but might be a panic attack? Mm -hmm. um, or is it social anxiety? And again, if it's um, social anxiety or regular anxiety, being able to figure out ways to kind of bring down that level of anxiety. Mm -hmm. um, and again, here is where you might bring a friend in who knows that you get a little anxious before you go out. Mm -hmm. And can they help you kind of get past the doorway? Sure. Um, sure. And into the, the social event. 
Now, speaking of panic attacks, can anybody get a panic attack depending on like some kind of stress is going on in their life, kind of like anxiety, or is panic attack like an extreme form of anxiety? What exactly is it? A panic attack um, often is an unprovoked kind of, uh, I guess, panic situation attack. or act, right? Yeah. Right, um, and it, it uh, there doesn't necessarily have to be something right then. Okay. Although usually there's going to be something in the recesses. Um, whether it's in something you haven't dealt with or, or something, but um, it can come out of the blue. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a panic attack um, kind of escalates over seconds to minutes, and it's quite intense. You, you know, your heart is beating fast. You can't catch your breath. You feel like you might die. Yeah. Um, and, then it, and then it goes away. You know, if those are repeated, then I would say, you know, if you have one and you never have another one, you know, you don't need to, to worry about that. Sure. But if you start having those on a, a regular basis or they get more frequent, that's when you should seek some help. So it affects breathing and everything. It, it feels like you can't catch your breath. Okay. Mm -hmm. okay. And so the first thing most people do when they have a panic attack is they feel like they're having a physical kind of ailment, whether it's a, an asthma attack or a heart attack, and they go to the emergency room. And it's important just to make sure we've ruled out medical causes because sure. what we didn't touch on here was that there's a lot of medical illnesses that can promote both depression and anxiety. Okay. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Uh, well, one of the first things that we look for as psychiatrists is thyroid disorders oh. because one in a hundred persons who present to us with depression actually has a thyroid disorder. Really? Mm -hmm. Very interesting. Now, thyroid it throws off your hormones, correct? Mm -hmm. Is that probably the major yes. reason? It, it kind of regulates your metabolism, so it can either go really slow and make mm -hmm. you feel um, lack of energy and can't move and yeah. tired and so that you appear as if you're sad and withdrawn but you really you, there's nothing there wow. but it can be easily treated with uh, replenishing the thyroid hormone sure sure okay good to know thank you um, going on to Ray uh, can anxiety cause physical symptoms such as internal trembling yes okay. yes there's a lot of um, there's muscle twitching there's trembling there's um, um, shaking, there can be the, you know, a little bit of um, feeling like you can't uh, catch your breath with anxiety. Also, your heart could race. So there's a lot of physical symptoms that can occur with anxiety. Sure, sure. Okay, and um, Linda's asking if someone has generalized anxiety disorder, do they feel physically ill with pain every day? I guess you kind of talked about that a little bit. Yeah, can they feel physically ill they, with pain every day? Mm -hmm. So, um, they can't feel physically ill. I mean, with generalized anxiety, this is something that's exhausting. Mm -hmm. Most of my folks with anxiety I will talk to and they are so tired because the mental processes it takes to kind of work through all the anxiety just wears you out. Yeah. So they're typically really fatigued. Sure, sure. Okay, and then uh, Jill um, is asking about, um, as a parent, what is a good technique um, who, for someone who has a 14-year-old with generalized anxiety disorder who gets angry when anxious and so defensive? If you're able to have a good talk with that 14-year-old and say, you know what, Jenny, I know you're not trying to be upset with me or angry with me right now, but I know this is a symptom of what happens when you get anxious. What can I do that would be helpful, most helpful for you when this happens? Um, 
And so kind of explaining some of those things is, is really useful. Sure. And I'm sure just dealing with a 14-year-old is difficult. A 14-year-old is. is difficult. And, and, and you're so right that in, um, with teens, depression and anxiety might come out a little differently. And it often comes out in this anger and irritability. Sure. Sure. All right. And then, Julie, is there hope to free yourself from bad memories that are always on your mind? Yes, that's a very difficult one. So if we're talking about something like a post-traumatic stress disorder where you've had some horrific um, abuse in the past mm -hmm. and these memories are coming to haunt you, uh, therapy is absolutely necessary. Um, we have medications that also can assist in combination with the therapy. So one of the things I want to make crystal clear here is that um, medication is not necessarily better than, than psychotherapy. Sure. Medication plus psychotherapy is like taking one plus one equals three. Okay. So it is like the, the best combo that you can ever have. Sure. Yeah, so that's, it's a long road, but it can be done. And I've dealt with many people with PTSD, and they have come a long way, and those thoughts have diminished quite a bit. Great. Great. And Janet, how do you treat a mixture of PTSD, major depression, SAD, and panic disorder? I have all of those and cannot function very well. Well, interestingly, the medications that we use, which in your case, it sounds like there's a combination of several things that would be very disabling, um, are similar. And so we can use the same medication that we would use for anxiety, that we can use for depression, and then we need to couple that with some really good therapy of someone that knows how to manage what you're dealing with. So with, um, I think you mentioned OCD, did you mention it? Or yeah, that was one of the very first ones. Yeah. Uh, I think you said mixture of PTSD, major depression, sad and panic. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. So you need a therapist that knows how to manage those kinds of things in sure. addition to using the, the right medications. Okay. Great. And then Cheryl, um, how do you deal with the stress we feel from sounds such as chewing loudly? My hubby is making me nuts eating peanuts from a can. <laughs> <laughs> Go into another room. <laughs> uh, you know what? That's a, that's a tough one, but I would say this. And I mean, so that I, is a phobia, I, is it not? Well, I, I would say that if that's something that if you're troubled routinely and people are, are getting on your nerves with a lot of things, then I would be a little more concerned. If that is something that um, is, is just one particular mm -hmm. um, issue, Instance, if, if yeah. your hubby can't learn to you know, to, to chew with his mouth closed or go chew in another room, then, yeah. um, you know, I, I, I would exit. Yeah, remove yeah. yourself. Yes. Okay, yeah. great. Uh, and then I have uh, Nuriman, Nuriam, I'm sorry. Um, why does it seem that people who have a family, healthy appearance, a good job, good looks, hobbies, etc., say that they, they are depressed? I guess that could be an opinion. Oh, so if, if I'm understanding the question correctly, it's someone who wonders how someone who appears to have it all say, Be can say they're depressed. Mm -hmm. That's because outward appearances are, are very much separate from what actually yes. goes on. Yes. And we see these people in our offices all the time. Sure. And the um, it's very sad because, again, they're putting forth so much effort and putting on this beautiful face mm -hmm. and looking the part and acting the part. And they have nothing left. Sure. Um, so I have patients that um, I may ask, you know, Aunt Janet, and how many hours did it take you today to look so beautiful? It took her five hours before she came in to see me because, but she looked the part. Right. You would never know that she was depressed if you saw her out in public, but she has very real illness and um, suffers quite a bit. Sure. So. 
And, you know, just because someone's depressed, they don't have to look depressed. No, um, they don't have to look depressed, especially to the public. Um, is it, There's such a stigma about depression and mental illness in general that folks don't always want to talk about this yeah. or let other people know that they're suffering from this. So they will do their best to appear this way. Sure, sure. Can we talk a little bit about that stigma? Because um, it seems that a lot of people that maybe are going through any kind of uh, mental illness, depression, anxiety, they don't like to talk about it because of this stigma that, that's out there. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yes. Um, our professions over the years have been trying to do our best. Education, education, education is one of the biggest ways to kind of diminish some of the stigma. Sure. Um, organizations like NAMI are out there trying to provide this education. But probably one of the best ways to help us are when people like Kevin Love comes forward and talks about his panic attacks, mm -hmm. and he touched millions of people because here was someone who they had, so again, um, to all appearances, has it all, right? Sure, right, of course. Yeah. Very talented, mm -hmm. very good looking, wealthy, um, but yet he was suffering with panic attacks. So when people who are known in the media can come forth and share their stories, it helps other people know, maybe it's okay for me to come forward and do that. Sure. Um, sometimes we have to get them to, to walk in the door because they don't know what to expect when they see a specialist like a psychiatrist. Yeah. And when they find out that, you know, it wasn't so bad, Scary. we're real yeah. people and we, we just want to talk and listen and help them, sure. it, it eases it, but we have to get them in the door. Sure, sure. And hopefully, you know, just like you're saying, awareness is huge, whether awareness. it's a celebrity, Facebook Live, a podcast, right. read about it, listen to people, because a lot of people are going through this. Absolutely. Sure. And then uh, I have, I think, Indira. Um, can situational anxiety progress to generalized anxiety? There are times that it could happen that situational anxiety could expand into generalized, but not, not for the most part. Okay. Um, so if it's just an occasional kind of specific situation, and it's not pervasive. So again, it's not happening, consuming someone every day, all the time. Mm -hmm. And again, it's not interfering with their work, their home, their social life. Then they're probably going to be able to contain it to those specific situations. Okay, great. And then uh, Sharon, can you talk about uh, borderline personal disorder? Oh, borderline personality disorder, probably it would be a, a great topic if that's what they're referring to on another session because it goes into a whole nother realm yeah. of um, a different area. Sure. Um, sure. And, and they do share symptoms of anxiety and depression, so that's very real. Yeah, um, so it's all related a mm -hmm. little bit. Okay, and then uh, Maggie, what is the likeliness of a child who has suffered from PTSD to have additional diagnosis of anxiety and depression? Very high. There's a lot of comorbidity that goes along with any of the anxiety and depressive disorders, so it, it's, it's very likely it's, um, that they will have something else um, as they go along. But if they're a child and you're aware that they suffer from PTSD and they're getting help now, that's fabulous because they have an opportunity to do well. Right, right. Yeah. Okay, great. Now, I know um, you're, you're an adult, mm -hmm. so we're, we're, I'm not going to go too much into children, but... 
Um, are there like warning signs? Because, you know, just like she said, you know, a 14 year old that's defensive, you know, kids can act a certain way. I have a seven year old that acts like a teenager. Is there, is there <laughs> something where I'm like, man, I think she might not be her normal self. Is that the same thing as you said as an adult, like that doesn't want to go see a movie that they usually love? Is it kind of like the same things or is it different for children? Well, for, for children, and again, and I'm, I'm glad you clarified the fact that I am not a child yes, psychiatrist, yes, yes. <laughs> but some of the things that you might see in a child would be changes in the school place. You know, oh. they might refuse to go to school. They may not want to get together with any of their friends. Um, they may sulk in their room, yeah. you know, so, yeah. but, and then, and then the teenagers tend to get the irritable, angry kind of thing, but younger, they, they may have the school refusal. Okay. Okay. Good to know. Um, okay, I'm going to give you one more question before I let you go. Um, Sharon's asking, I want to be an advocate for my depression and anxiety and tell my story. What do I do? Oh, that's fabulous. Get hold of your local NAMI organization. They often highlight folks who are willing to share it. They also, on occasion, um, and, I, and I won't say they do this with everyone, they have folks speak before the large um, uh, programs that they hold every year. There's hundreds of people that come to those, but they would love to hear your story. They would love to have more advocates. And if you want to help other peers who are going through this, you can be trained to help some of the support groups through NAMI as well. And so um, educating one more person or sharing your, your story can generally help many others. So right. that's fantastic. And one more time for your NAMI. Is that a National Alliance for the Mentally Ill. I'm so sorry. Okay. National, sure. Alliance, National Alliance for the Mentally Ill. No. We have local chapters here. You can look it up online. Um, they have uh, groups that are generally held across the city in different neighborhoods. Sure. And um, they're those for families and those for patients. Excellent. Thank mm -hmm. you. Thank You're very you welcome. So much. Thank you so much for coming in today. You've been My great. pleasure. Thank you. And for more health tips and information, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Snapchat at Cleveland Clinic, one word. And we'll see you again next time. This concludes this Cleveland Clinic Health Essentials podcast. Thank you for listening. Join us again soon.